Hi, welcome to Literaturely, a podcast about teaching literature. I'm Margaret Mock. And I'm Paige Wallace. And we are covering kind of how would you self-teach your yourself? I guess self-teach, you don't need the yourself. How would you self-teach literature? Yeah, so this was a listener request. And I think it's pretty cool um, thinking about like, being in a pandemic and like needing things to do. Yeah. Imagine this, right. Um, As we can't travel. Well, yes, you can, but um, the things you're doing outside of your house are limited right now. And, you know, that old sort of saying like literature is your window to the world. And so how would you approach like a study? I, like, I think we should say a study of literature. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I really like this idea for the same reasons you said. And also studying literature doesn't just have to take place in a classroom. So like once you graduate, once you leave university, whatever, like how do you continue that pursuit? If it's something you're interested in, maybe it's a hobby, Maybe you'd like to learn more about a specific subject. Um, Maybe you're trying to get back in the groove of things before you go back to school. Um, But I'm kind of excited to talk about this. (laughs) I'm actually really looking forward to it. So again, shout out to, listen, I don't know the ethics of saying someone's name. So, but shout out to them. Yeah, to our listener that asked for this one, because it's a pretty cool episode that like, Also, we wouldn't have thought of your own, you know? And so I was thinking about this beforehand about if, how, how would I approach self-teaching? And it occurred to me that that's a big part of grad school is you learning how to self-teach. So for those of you who have not gone to grad school for English, um, just a quick gloss over at least the process Paige and I went through, Mm -hmm which was you had your coursework and once you had finished your required courses, you then began studying for your prelim exams. And your prelim exams were, you had two reading lists, your major list and your minor list. They were approved by your committee. They had anywhere between 50 and 150 texts that ranged from fiction, nonfiction, like critical texts, secondary texts, um, and they were, they're considered the, what you need to know to be considered an expert in this subject. And then you take your exams, if you pass, you move on to your prospectus, which is your plan for your dissertation. You have to figure out how to do that. And then eventually write your dissertation, which you're still self-teaching because you're constantly reading and putting together the information and figuring out like, what do you need to know? How do you get that information? Um, and so to kind of use that to maybe start at least, uh, guide the beginning of this conversation, I would just like to start with, um, a tip that really helped me was looking at the reading lists from other grad programs. So some graduate programs put the lists that their students read for their prelim exams on their department page. So if you like Google PhD literature prelim exams, you'll find lists that way. And those will maybe help you find specific like texts for specific subjects like 20th century post-colonial fiction written in English. Right. Um, But I think another thing for those of you who maybe are just want smaller chunks, Google classes because so many syllabi are online. So you could Google like intro to short story syllabus, mm-hmm. intro to women's literature syllabus, intro to eco lit syllabus, and they'll come up with readings, assignments. And obviously, you're not going to be doing it for a grade, but seeing what questions the assignments pose might help guide the way you read the text, um, the order you read the text. Yeah, I'll pause there. <laughs> Definitely. So I think that's really good advice. Um, 
Asley, so um, has a really great um, database of syllabi mm. for a range of classes from like introductory, all have some sort of like eco theme to them, but that's one that I know about. And then there's also um, a database of syllabi for teaching like literature and media, but I don't remember, like if you Google it, it'll just come up. Um, but so compiling like a list, and I think that depending on like how like in depth you want your study to go, right? You could use prelim lists, but you could also compile a list um, from like your own social media, right? Like friends, what are they reading? What are their suggestions? Um, your local libraries, like backlog of um, book club, right? Um, yeah. So I think like another really great resource here is your library, whether going there in person or using their online uh, like resources. Um, and yeah, so definitely you have to start to, this process by like compiling your resources which can be overwhelming I think um, yeah I think it's one of those situations where it might be best to start small and grow big um so that way you don't overwhelm yourself from the beginning and you can figure out what you want to focus on what you want to learn more about um Paige when you said the library that reminded me of um Richard Wright where he talks about, I forget now if it's from um, Native Son or Uncle Tom's Children, but he talks about the library card that he uh, t- borrows from the Catholic he works with um, so he can check out books. But he, he first he uh, checks out the book that he hears the, uh, the white men in his town talking about as a threat. And he's like, well, I want to know what they're considering a threat. He reads that and then he checks out the books that that author references. And then he checks out the books that those authors reference and he builds out from there. Um, and so he's seeing that network of ideas and how those ideas influence one another, work together, um, the nuances of it, which side he might take in a critical debate. Um, but he does it all through the library. So compiling those resources, seeing what you have available to you, definitely a good idea. Yeah, and so I guess also a question we'd have to consider here is like if we are learning or sort of studying literature at home, and I think that we both would agree that part of the study of literature is about being able to join conversations. Mm-hmm. And so what are our options for joining conversations when maybe we don't have like obviously there are things like book clubs right um but maybe that's not something we're interested in but we still need to be like aware of what conversations there are and how we could potentially join them even if that joining is like on our own sort of um, yeah like a hypothetical joining like you're just writing out your responses to Mm -hmm. conversations the two things that immediately came to my mind was first you could start reading with the fiction to see what sort of fiction um, specifically excites to you or which sort of issues specifically excite you. And once you've started to find your niche, find anthologies that are responding to that niche. So like um, a collection of critical approaches to modernist women's writing or an anthology of post-colonial essays. And you can find those not that much on online. Um, there's different websites that will sell them used. And so there are affordable options. I know university libraries will have them. I Public libraries won't necessarily, um, but most university libraries will have some sort of option for you at least to go in even if you can't check the books out so you can always you know maybe see what options they have um but those anthologies will give you a good place to start of what are 
leaders in those fields considering and, and pointing out and, and treating as important. And you can kind of see what paths that takes you on. But the other thing I was thinking leads back to what you were saying, Paige, before about social media. If you create some sort of like Instagram or blog and you start joining in conversations there, that will also help you find people who are interested in the same subjects and kind of um, interested maybe in similar approaches, or at least, um, I don't know how to say this in the way I want to say it. Okay. But I know like I've had a lot of friends who said they didn't like book clubs because they felt it was just like an excuse to drink wine and nobody was actually reading the books or like thinking about the books. So I want to say like on Instagram, you can find people who are like interested on the same level as you and help each other grow, um, encourage each other, all that. Paige, where have you found some of the conversations that have helped you? You, Margaret. (laughs) I wish people could see the facial expression that went along with that so they would know. (laughs) Um, No, I mean, okay. So yeah, so I think if you're going to like teach yourself literature at home um it has to be a labor of love mm-hmm. and you have to be excited about it and if you can find someone else to be excited with you then even if they're not reading with you but maybe they're giving you suggestions or whatever um that's going to be key um oh and I remember I was going to say this when you were talking earlier about um getting like an anthology or something like that um Goodwill bookstores are a fantastic place to find used textbooks um, for like a dollar. And um, like if you are approaching this and you let's say like let's do a scenario where this is someone who hasn't taken um, any literature classes, maybe took like one in undergrad and, and you know, um, you the cool thing about this is that you could find an intro to literature textbook like at a Goodwill, something like that. Don't spend a lot of money on it and use that to orient yourself to the stuff that you're interested in um, and the stuff that you want to read. Because I think that like for you and I, Margaret, like, you know, um, like both of us, we've been rereading Margaret Atwood, right? And and reading a lot more of her canon. Um, and there are, for the most part, love everything. But there's some things that I'm reading and I'm like, I don't particularly love this, I'm not, but I'm gonna continue on with it because I wanna be able to have this conversation. Someone in a different position, um, learning at home, you have a lot of freedom. And I think that my advice is to embrace that a little bit and don't, read like I would never read Cormac McCarthy for self um you know I mean I did during prelims and I hated it um but I had to and so here you don't have to um per se but I wonder if we do want to talk about scenarios where people are learning at home and they um they are like, they, they do have a purpose, not beyond just like the, they always have purpose, but beyond just like self like growth. But like, you know, um, we have a lot of high schoolers that are homeschooling right now. Um, and it might be useful to think about how to approach this in those scenarios where, you know, um, are you learning together at home? Are you sort of doing this sort of teaching literature um, from homeschool perspective? Because a lot of what's out there, I feel like with homeschool kind of cuts off after middle school. Um, And there are materials, but a lot of those materials you find are geared towards like teachers, right? Buying them from like teachers pay teachers and then using them. So 
I don't know. I'm spiraling. So no, um, you just made me think of um, a resource that I thought might be useful um, for people who might be wanting to homeschool high school or kind of prepare themselves for university study. And that is um, Jonathan Cullors, a very short introduction to literary theory. And this was a text that was assigned in my undergrad theory course. And it was uh, used as a supplementary um, text to our big, thick theory textbook. It is exactly what it says, very short. There are like a couple pages on each kind of major literary theory, an overview of what literary theory is. So for people who are at the point that they know what a symbol is, they know what a protagonist is, they know how to identify a theme, but don't know how to take the next step. That's actually, I think, a great resource. And I think it's like, you can get it for a couple bucks online. It's not an expensive book. Um, and that can also help you figure out what conversations you want to enter into. Maybe you realize you are a Marxist scholar, a feminist scholar, a, um, you know, whatever. And what we did at my high school, which I think, again, is applicable for high school through college, we read Henry James's um, Turn of the Screw which Halloween's coming up. It's a spooky book. So on, on season and we were broken up into groups and we had to interpret the novel um, using a different theory, each of us. And so our, our um, teacher at that point, we weren't using the very short introduction. He gave us each like page, just a page on that sort of theory. And um, it was really, really fun to do at least for me, I'm sure some of my classmates were less thrilled, <laughs> but it was really like cool to see. At least, I like that qualifier, at least. For me. <laughs> yeah. It was really interesting to see though, like how some approaches to literature will have you kind of more take the book on its face value and how that leads you to interpret what the events of the novel one way. Another way will have you focus on class and that leads you to a different conclusion. Some will focus on gender, race, and, and so on and so forth. And there's so many different ways and what and it will lead you to different significances of the text. Like not just different meanings, but why is this text important? And I'm saying turning the screw specifically is a good one because it's shorter. So it's easier to deal with, but also it is such an ambiguous text. So there's a lot of room for play. And, and that can be really exciting when you're kind of, it's, it's like um, the literary equivalent of those pictures, you know, the, the visual tricks where it's like, do you see the two faces looking at each other or the vase? Right. Um, Turn to the screw is like that. Like <laughs> what you see says more about what you're focusing on. So I think what this is making me think of is um, like the metaphor we have to use uh for studying literature like on your own is uh, and this is something I was talking to my students about this past week of how like what the different kinds of assignments they might get um and so this was for a comp but we were talking about how some assignments are like a math problem and you're being asked like a, a yes or no question and it feels like okay there's going to be a really clear answer, but your job is to kind of investigate the nuance. So it's similar, but different. But then um, the other kind of assignment is you've got some parameters and you have to think of yourself as doing an archaeological dig and kind of figuring out like what you're going to find. Right. And so I think that this is the best way to think about studying literature at home is that the first step is you have to set yourself some parameters and whether you do that with some preliminary reading or finding some resources that help you set those parameters, um, whichever way works best. And then thinking of yourself as doing some sort of archeological dig, right? You are on a journey 
of learning and uh, like investigating text. And so, um, and, and I like what you said about having like a blog or social media account, because that is your, that's your like journal that uh, documents this sort of um, investigation, like the, uh, the things that you are, you know, dusting off and understanding, you're keeping count of them on whatever platform or whatever. Um, and, and I guess like it doesn't have to be social media or a blog. It can be like your own personal like journal. But I do think like we were, if we go back to that idea of being involved in conversation, that's how you report your findings, you know? Yeah. And I will say I use the blog for my prelim notes and it was really helpful because I used hashtags. And so I would hashtag what I found interesting and, in, and, in, each of the posts, like whatever I was focusing on. And then later when I would click on those hashtags, it would bring up posts and make me realize that that these ideas, some were connected that I hadn't even realized. So it will, it's another way you can push your own ideas further and realize patterns that you're missing, but also those hashtags will help you find your community. Yeah. And I think like the cool thing, cause I got the idea for keeping a blog during prelims from you, Margaret. Um, And Margaret gave me some really good advice. So if we do have any listeners that are like reading for comps or prelims or whatever, Margaret was like, come up with a thesis statement for every single novel. Which is what my advisor told me. So (laughs) to give full credit. You spread the word. So um, this was super helpful to me um, in like, again, sort of thinking, okay, what am I, what am I getting from this text? Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and having that thesis statement, having that series of thesis statements was a way of me going back and looking through my own blog and saying, okay, here are all the things that are connecting that I'm thinking about. Um, And I think that the, you know, Reading for exams was very, very stressful, but it was also one of my favorite things mm-hmm. um, because, yeah, because I like that archaeological dig. Um, yeah, it was like a reading with no agenda. You're not at that point when you're reading, you know, you have to prove yourself eventually, but it's not like a course where you're following your professor's agenda or your reading to eventually write a paper it was like you creating your own beautiful mind map (laughs) like how am I going to connect all of these hundreds of texts yeah your own mind map I like that um you're also making me realize though one of the hardest parts about self-study is moving beyond just your preferences yeah. Um, I liked this book. I didn't like this book. I like this author. I don't like this author. Um, and get to that next level of what is significant about this text? What is important about this text? And when you are reading alone and working alone, that sometimes can be hard to do. But mm-hmm. I think if you are keeping any sort of like journal or blog, um, it can it can help make sure you're you're taking that extra step. And also reading the anthologies, critical texts um, will also help you do that. Oh, another resource too for finding critical texts is once you start to become more comfortable with theories and theorists, Google Scholar, you won't be able to find every um, article available, but you don't need access to a university library to be able to read some of these articles. Um, and so you'll be able to find a lot of stuff for free online, but so that to get to Google scholar, if you've never used it before, it's just scholar.google.com and it's, um, academic and peer reviewed and patents. (laughs) (laughs) Patents. That's how, you know, you've used it. (laughs) When you get through and you're like, this is a patent, never mind. Not Also, it is like not like regular Google where it's a little bit more literal. So you'll be looking for something very specific and it will um, about, you know, maybe like HP Lovecraft's and gender. And instead you'll get something about like, you know, 
protein spikes by an H.P. Smith and an Arnold Lovecraft. And you're like, well, this isn't what I wanted. <laughs> but, you know, there's a learning curve there and, and that's easy to figure out. Yeah, you're going to get an enzyme paper no matter what search terms you put in. At some point, you'll, you'll be like, yeah. no, not looking for that. <laughs> yeah. But I do think, um, oh, sorry, my brain escaped. I think like if maybe what you were saying, Paige, setting those parameters from the start. And if you don't know how to set parameters, you can start with the basics of, I want to read fiction from this time period in this country. Or I want to read fiction um, about aliens um, in the 21st century. I always want to read fiction about aliens. (laughs) So I, I would just give yourself at least like three parameters to start with. And that's genre, um, time period, and location. And your location can be transatlantic. Like my major was transatlantic (laughs) fiction. It was a little bit more specific than that, but um, it was, um, Paige knows this, but uh, maternalist fiction that's also transatlantic and 20th century. So I had those, the, the genre maternalist fiction. So fiction about mothers, uh, time period, 20th century and location. It was just. And if you're like me, you can be like, here are the authors that I want to keep bump out of my parameters. Yeah. Yeah. You can keep adding to your parameters. You can make it as specific as possible, but those parameters will help you manage um your resources because there are a lot of resources out there it's easy to kind of get lost in the forest because you're because of all the trees right and so if you can set up those parameters from the start start collecting the fictional text you want to look at maybe find one or two anthologies if you just find one, I would just find one that's broadly maybe about literature theory. If you find two, then you can find one specific to the kind of text you're reading. Um, and I don't know, Paige, would you say start with like reading the fiction first or start reading the anthologies first? That's a good question. Um, are we thinking anthology, like critical anthologies? Yeah, and hopefully shorter ones, like find critical anthologies can get really, really dense. Um, right. That's and, and theory writing is not always good writing, even though they are writing about writing. Um, so I think a lot of times, like if you find like theory for beginners, intro to literary theory, at least there will be some summaries and some explanations to help guide you. Um, because I don't think you have to read the original text to be able to engage in those ideas. Like you can work up to things. You can work up to the original. Yeah. So I think that you could do this. Um, and, and again, it depends on like what kind of prep you're going to do. Um, and, but I think my advice is to read them alongside of one another. Um, and so if you, and if you had, um like Nor- the Norton's anthology for literary theory which is expensive online but they're like a thousand and one used copies um that mine is collecting dust I'll send it to someone if they want it um but uh because it is really sort of just snapshots of critical theory um and so you know you once you've got down like the basics I don't know that you really use it that much. Um, and, but for the, this purpose, it it has everything in small chunks. And so how I'm thinking is that it could be really easy to read, you know, your feminist theory, your butler, whatever, um, in that really small chunk. 
alongside a text. Um, and kind of see, you know, do you remember like in high school, did you guys do those response journals where you had like the two columns? Um, okay, so like one side was like the summary of what was happening in the text and the other side was like all the connections you could make. You could do something like that where you're reading along and you're thinking, okay, so what are the important things that are happening and how does it connect to, you know, these three theories or theorists that I just read. Um, and the thing I like about the Norton anthology is it gives like the, in the intro um, of, before each um, entry, it gives you like a historical overview, right? Like, here's when this was developed, here's what was going on historically, um, and so that you can kind of tie it to, like, you can ground it in a way that sometimes I think we lose in theory, right? Like, if we're talking about, like, I don't know, I'm, I can't think of a good example, but if we're, we're talking about a specific theory, um, and it can feel really dense and grounding it in like, okay, what was happening in the world at the time is super helpful um, yeah. and is a good way to not get bogged down. Um, Think of theory as concentrate. Like when you're reading it, you're getting like the densest, purest form. And in general, that's not the way ideas work in reality. I'm sure a lot of people who love theory are screaming at me right now, but this is how I've been able to grapple with theory is that like, it's meant to be watered down in application. I don't know if that's quite what you were getting to Paige, but like, it's just so, it can be really dense and overwhelming, but also feel totally foreign. Um, like some theory might click for you and like, this is exactly how I've, I see the world in some ways, but others, it's like, this is so extreme. This is not how. Yeah, no, I think that's how, I think that was part of what I was getting to. And sort of part of what I'm getting to is like also the balance between reading. Cause like, I'm really stuck on if you're doing this at home, you're doing it because you love it. Mm -hmm. um, and how do you balance like your love of it and expanding like your, your parent, like horizons when it comes to it. Um, and theory is a way to do that. Yeah. Um, but also you don't want to get too bogged down in it. Yeah. You know, what's hitting me is our final episode of the season is one way you can do self-study of approaches to teaching Margaret Atwood. That's just one of many anthologies. We're looking specifically at, at a pedagogy anthology, but there's going to be like new approaches to Faulkner, Faulkner, <laughs> um, like new approaches to Virginia Woolf, like all that sort of stuff. If you can think of an author you're, you really love or you want to learn more about or just somehow excites you, you can get a critical text about like the overview of their work and just work their way, your way through their bibliography. Yeah. And that um, will force you to go deep. <laughs> yeah. Or like, again, like a, a particular genre that you're interested in. Um, and I, I do think you have, I think maybe first sort of advice for this is also, again, like you mentioned, like you don't always love everything you read but you have to have, you have to be engaged with it, right? You have to have some interest. So like, if you like are really into video games, then what kind of literature can you read that is connected to that, that thing that you're already engaged with, right? Like if you really are like a nature person, outdoors person, what kind of literature um, could you start with to Push, like get yourself through the door. Cause I think exactly like you have to start with something you love. And then once you find your groove, you can start expanding to the texts that annoy you or frustrate you. And that will also help you figure out like, why do some texts work and some texts don't. And when you read in like, if you read a lot of like YA dystopian fiction and you have like, you love hunger games you love, um, I don't know. I was going to say like you, 
hate some of the other ones, if you go in deep enough with them, you'll start to realize like, well, this technique works, this technique doesn't. These sorts of themes really heighten what's significant about the genre, whereas like these sorts of themes undermine it, dilute it, distract from what's important. And because to eventually, if you like want to become an expert in, in the niche that you are engaging. <laughs> um, you have to be able to identify what's good, what's bad, but back it up. Like, I don't like, I don't think this works because of these reasons. I think this is successful because of these reasons, or I think this is an influential text because of this. I think this is a text that should receive more attention because of this, but don't start necessarily with the stuff you hate. Though eventually the stuff you hate does become fun as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like my students all hated. Well, at the first they loved Charlotte Perkins Gilman's um, Herland, and then they hated it. But then they loved thinking about it. <laughs> so sometimes, like the things that frustrate you, it's fun. It becomes a puzzle where where you want to be able to be like okay, let me reverse engineer this. Let me figure out why this bothers me. Or let me try to figure out why everyone else in the world loves this novel, except for me. Um, I was also telling my partner the other day, I was reading a book I was not enjoying. And they said, well, why don't you stop? I said, because I can't say I hate it until I finish it. (laughs) I have to get to the end. So I know how it all works. And then I can say for sure, confidently, no, that was bad. (laughs) Yeah. Do you, have you ever heard the story ever told the, the story of when I was an undergrad in contemporary literature, uh, one of my classmates was adamant about uh, Fifty Shades of Grey being the best book. And I was so annoyed, but she was like, well, you haven't read it. And I was like, shit, I haven't read it. <laughs> and I read it. And, and then I was like, and now I can tell you exactly why I hate it, why it's bad for women. Um, and yeah. And so happy to talk about why I hate Cormac McCarthy uh, and yeah. why it's bad for women. Um, to be able to be an authority and say, this is not good for these reasons, you have to have read it. Yeah. So it's a little bit like hate watching TV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I often tell my students that I'm like, you don't have to like something to study it. I often have like found the most pleasure in researching things that have bothered me to figure out exactly why. And it's exciting because you start to find sort of alternatives or resolutions to what you don't like. Like you start to figure out ways to fix that problem and that can be exciting. And then you, so going down that rabbit hole is a lot of fun. Also Paige, something I thought you said that was interesting that I wanna touch back on um, is that grounding in historical context. There's gonna be a lot of English professors who disagree with me or just, you know, won't back this up. But I think instead of theory, another approach you can do to help balance this out and push yourself is get historical nonfiction. You can get yourself a history of the troubles in Northern Ireland, uh, which 1960s-ish to 1990s, and then read works from Ireland and Northern Ireland, maybe the like UK in general, maybe even like the Irish diaspora and read the works that are coming out of that because they're going to be responding to those historical contexts and and those current events. And you'll get a, a different sort of understanding of those works and you'll see the different ways authors can respond to the same situation and the different techniques they bring, what they emphasize, what they ignore. And that can be another way of self-study. But also historical fiction is two for one, you know? Oh, historical fiction too. Yeah, because you're you're learning, like you can pair it up with like, I'm reading this really interesting book that's historical fiction. And now I want to know, you know, how accurate it is and what I need to know more about uh, the Pendleton witch trials or whatever, right? Um, <laughs> Have I told you about how I didn't have to do homework in my sophomore year English class of high school? Naturally, uh-huh. Um, because we were reading um, Heart of Darkness. 
Okay. And I was reading a lot of historical fiction at that time that was focused on Queen Victoria. So I asked my English teacher, I was like, King Leopold, is that the same King Leopold who is the uncle of Queen Victoria? And she looked at me, she said, are you doing your own research on this? <laughs> I was like, Ugh. And she never checked my homework after that because I was not doing my homework for that class. I was going down rabbit holes, but and that's the beauty of self-study. Like you don't have to do the homework that's being assigned. You can focus on what you want to focus on. You can go down all the rabbit holes. Yeah. Um, I have a final question for you, Paige. Okay. Who would be a theorist that you would recommend to someone starting out? Oh, that's a hard question, Margaret. Um, I think it would depend on where you're going. Mm-hmm. Um in terms of like genre and stuff, I think that um, if you're thinking about like ecology and climate change, Ursula K. Highs is a really um, like I enjoy reading her stuff and feel that it's um, accessible in ways sometimes that like some other eco crits are not. Um, not that I don't like respect their work, but you know, yeah, I assign some of her stuff to, I have assigned some of her stuff to students. Um, and, um, if you are doing like feminist stuff, I'm never going to not recommend Sarah Ahmed's living a feminist life. Um, I think that she, again, using that metaphor of like, it's concentrated is really a good approach. Um, I'm thinking like just general literary theory. Oh man. I I think everybody should read Roland Barth. Um and just like sort of going back to the roots of like death of an author to orient yourself to thinking about um the relationship between like reader and author and the text um as something that can live outside of the author and the author's vision for it. Um I think that can be really important. I feel like I have more. I also read um, Jane Bennett's Vibrant Matter in undergrad and felt like that was a sort of like first taste of theory. It's really specialized. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It was something that very early on I could, I felt comfortable using. So yeah, I think those are my like, that's an overview of what I would recommend. What would you, what would you recommend, Margaret? Um, so while you were speaking, you were making me think of stuff. I think something that could be fun as like a complete starter is Aristotle's theory of tragedy. I think I've talked about that in one of our um, building skills series episodes, but I think that's a good place where he's arguing his, what he thinks the purpose of at least tragedy is. Um, and you can start thinking about your response to that. Um, what sort of response should literature provoke? How should it provoke it and go from there? Um, in terms of historical approaches, Stephen Greenblatt is really readable. And in the past, my students have really liked him. He also has YouTube videos. So you can even just start with his YouTube videos. Um, I think he has one that I, I show that I really like. If you uh, search on YouTube, Stephen Greenblatt, What is Art? I think um, I think that is the title of it. Um, also, Terry Eagleton is pretty readable. And he's all about that sort of... Um, historical context. He has one on Jane Eyre that I really, really like. Isn't that uh, Jane Eyre? Yeah. No, not Jane Eyre. Not the one I'm thinking of. Um, Wuthering Heights. So if you had all read Wuthering Heights, check out Terry Eagleton's take on it. Um, Which I think that also shows you like how you can, your different um, interest and focus can lead you to different conclusions about a novel. That he comes to conclusions that most people on their first read of Wuthering Heights would not come to. Um, and then I was trying to think about theorists that I, 
and studies that I've liked recently, um, the first one that came to mind, I think is Delaney K. English wrote about um, the Harlem Renaissance and eugenics. And so if you're at all interested in the Harlem Renaissance, uh, that as a your critical text could be really interesting. Um, she really opens kind of up the, the critical approaches and she does a really good job of also citing other scholars. So you, that can help you build out your web. Um, but I was trying to think of other overviews maybe. Overviews are hard. Like yeah. And I was also just trying to think like, who do I think is readable? Because there's a lot of theorists that are doing great, exciting work, but there is sort of a, a block there that they're not approachable. And I know they're not trying to be approachable, but um, if you're doing self-study and you're working alone, I think it's helpful to have approachable, um, an approachable writing that you're dealing with because they're the only person you are quote unquote talking to. So yeah. you don't understand what the other person's saying. So you it's might hard. go alone. Yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking. I was like, oh, don't necessarily start with Judith Butler. You'll see her referenced a lot. She's someone you can work up to. Yeah, but I mean, also don't be ashamed to use like guides for the, um, there are a lot of literary guides out there like Cliff Note-esque for theory um, that, you know, we don't, we probably shouldn't use them to teach, uh, but can be really useful if you're doing them this stuff at home alone. Yeah, because studying literature is about the conversation and you don't have to have real life people you're working with, but you do want to have other perspectives to broaden your own and even if that perspective is cliff notes that's fine like the more perspectives you can get the better Definitely. but any final thoughts on this page I mean I don't think so I think that now I I'm like why am I wasting all my time not doing enough stuff at home I could be like self-teaching myself like you know teaching myself well, it is. Subject. Whenever we start a new project, we sort of have to begin this process of self-study again, because I'm thinking I'm starting next project right now. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to start compiling my resources. I'm going to have to start reading, figure out the, yeah. the scholars I want to engage with. Um, the more you do it, the easier it becomes, but it's never really like, you never really feel like you have a handle on it completely. I think you just have a hand, you get a handle on like your process. Yeah. Um, the more you do it, the more you're like aware of how you think best mm -hmm. and like what you need um, structure wise. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well what's your dream course for today, Paige? Well, I was going to ask you, so I kind of want to put a spin on dream course and I feel guilty because I feel like I'm always like, Margaret, let's put a spin on dream course. <laughs> I had thought of a dream course though. <laughs> while we're doing it and I'm like so but you can decline but I was thinking like a dream class but what would you, but like for yourself like if you're going to self-teach yourself like oh like, this still works for me okay okay tell me this oh Did I'm going first okay first. so earlier this summer I started Elena Ferrante's Neapolitan series and I actually told you about this sort of like thought I had because the first one Little Women is this huge text for that novel. Like it, it, the little girls in it read it, it inspires them and it drives a good part of the novel. And I was thinking about how Little Women has popped up in so many of the texts I've read by female authors. And I've been interested in sort of investigating like, how has the legacy of Little Women inspired 20th century authors? Because I don't really see it referenced in 19th century texts, though that's also not my field. So it might be there and people might be able to point it out to me, but I see it a lot. And it's in sometimes YA novels, but also sometimes adult fiction. So I kind of want to go down that rabbit hole 
at some point. I don't have any conclusions yet, but that would be my my um my dream course is a little bit of like um it might be focused on little women, it might just be broader um girls novels. So maybe also like a tree grows in Brooklyn. Um I'm trying to think of a uh, Anne of Green Gables. Mm-hmm. But what is their legacy in modern fiction? And because I feel like their girls' books often are dismissed. Like we still have that term chicklet. <laughs> um, but that there's something else going on here. And it's something interesting to me about women forging their own path. And what you actually said in the beginning of today's episode of literature as a window to the world, that literature kind of formed a doorway for women in, in the 19th and 20th century. And Little Women was part of setting the stage for that. So I'm thinking like, she's a female author publishing under her name and making a living doing it. Yeah. So anyways, what about you? Sorry, I'm just thinking a lot. I'm just thinking about that. I want to take that class now. I don't even want to do mine. I, well, I just like mine is more branching out. Like I think I would like to do like a self study of like philosophy, um, as like a refresher. Like you know, mm-hmm. I feel like I want to go back to some like some like Plato and Aristotle, um, and revisit it not for teaching any part of it not like you know like is the last time I did it for like a theory class um but just I don't know for purely like expanding my own knowledge base in a very like pure idealistic way in which I'll probably you know get halfway into it and be like I have a thousand things to do and you know not come back to it but you could use a good place as a place to start like go through the episodes and see which readings they do and yeah and like I almost wonder if part of my interest in that is a little bit tied to that show (laughs) I wonder I bet that somebody has made a good place syllabus let's look it up really quick oh it's the good place I keep saying a good place (laughs) Ooh, there's a season three syllabus um, I think it's Notre Dame has a course called the good class. Definitely not the bad class. <laughs> um, and they have click through to see the stupid garbage syllabus for the good class. <laughs> see below for the forking amazing final projects from students. This is what I mean. They can find syllabi for any topic. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I've already got my my prep here right yeah and that's another thing like there's harry potter courses there's buffy the vampire slayer classes there's a lot out there that if you just need to start with like your very small niche there's a class for that yeah i feel like there's probably like a marvel like superheroes like i mean there's definitely mm-hmm. anything i give or take <laughs> <laughs> Marvel, you want to say that, that, that your face was like not anything though not anything <laughs> <laughs> well until next time when we can create everything and anything